Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, timeless characters whose stories were retold in the modern day with the creation of the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. Hello and welcome to My Ultimate Year, the comic book reading club where we are going through the entire Marvel Ultimate Universe, one issue at a time, painstakingly going through the Ultimate Universe. You're really selling it. Selling it as something it isn't. Great idea at the opening. Yeah, I shouldn't uh, say painstakingly yet because at some point that will probably ring a little more true. But right now it's still pretty, I feel like we're in maybe salad days, you know? If you think it's bad now, just wait until we get deeper into the club. Yeah. No, that's not at yeah, all what we're doing. Do. We're, we're reading chunks of the Ultimate Universe, one episode at a time. We're going through the entire Ultimate Universe from 2000 to 2015, approximately, because uh, we can. <laughs> because it's accessible enough, and it's a good place to read in. And actually, like, it is the the only Marvel Universe, essentially, that you can read all of and not feel like you are doing a terrible, terrible thing to yourself, right? So we are yeah, on like, episode uh... six today. 600 issues something like that for the entire yeah. run yeah like all over the course of... i mean that, that's a lot but like that's also not a lot in terms of compared to the main marvel universe 600 issues is a month <laughs> of earth 616 marvel um we're gonna do it over the course of 34 issues and we're on episode six today so we are still fairly early where today we're gonna talk about the launch of ultimate fantastic four that mm. series is just starting we are going to talk about ultimate spider-man 33 to 39 venom making his way to the Ultimate Universe. And then we're going to talk about Ultimate X-Men 21 to 25. We're your hosts. I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of mm. I'm joined by Zach Bean, as important. always. Yeah. You're probably most familiar with us from the My Marvelous Year show, where we go through Earth 616 and all those many, many Marvel Universe comics we were just talking about. But for the Ultimate Universe specifically, this is a initially a Patreon-supported over at Patreon.com, My Marvelous Year um, uh, endeavor that is released six months ahead of you get them on patreon six months ahead of when they'll be released to the public so as we're recording episode six here the first ultimate universe episode uh should be going live for the masses pretty soon here right seven episode seven and six episode seven going out to patreon patrons will oh my god patrons Mm -hmm. will go out at the same time as episode one right so like i said getting close yeah oh yeah sure yes i'm being pedantic um stilt daddy right again I am now the oh. big stilt daddy, for those of you following along oh, hate, in the Slack channel it. over at My Marvel this year. Uh, if you want to get access to Ultimate Universe episodes early, or you want to be able to call me big stilt daddy you, yeah, if in you want to pay Dave channel, $5 a month in order to, you know, feed into this. I mean, fetish is probably not strong enough a word. Yeah, no, fetish undersells it. Fetish definitely <laughs> undersells uh, what it does for me. But you can do that over at patreon.com slash my marvelous year. Um, you know what I saw before we get into the Ultimate Universe mm-hmm. comics today? Yeah. So they're doing this really cool as we're recording this uh, hashtag creators for comics thing mm-hmm. over on Twitter. Have you, have you been following this at Mm-mm, all? I haven't seen that. No. Okay. So like a huge amount of comic book creators, writers, artists, colorist, inkers, any 
journalists, like people just connected to comics. Um, they're doing a thing where they're auctioning off some of their own work. So the most obvious example of this would be like Mike Del Mundo, an artist I really love, did a an acrylic uh, painting. I think it's like 11 by 17. That might be way too small. Um, of Galactus, like drinking Earth with a straw. It's so good. It's so good Ooh, if you know Del Mundo's style. Um, so he's auctioning that off, and, and, and you can go in on a Twitter thread and you say how much you'd bid for it. And the coolest thing about this is all of the bids go as 100% donations to a charitable organization called Bink, the, B-I-N-C. Yeah, the Book which is for Charitable Foundation. Thank you, thank you. And, and that also helps support local comic shops are a part of that mm-hmm. as well. It's a really smart, really clever idea. I did, I've, I've bid on a handful of these. I also clicked into the Del Mundo one, like I want that on my wall. The bids mm-hmm. were up to like $5,000 Oh wow! <laughs> already. Crazy. Like the art stuff, unsurprisingly, is going for huge amounts and it's all going to drive donations. And the reason I bring that up is at my Marvel this year, we um, typically do not have many guests, but one of the offerings was Jason Aaron, the writer of, of many fantastic comics, including a lengthy Thor run here in the 2010s. Uh, he said, I will come on your podcast for an hour. Winning bid gets me on your podcast for an hour. Ooh. I was severely tempted, severely uh-huh. tempted because I like I'm here's the thing. Like Comic Book Herald, I make regular donations monthly with a portion of site earnings. So I'm like, well, I will do that here and also participate in these auctions. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a win-win. Um, I feel weird about buying his time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is how he framed it. He's like, yeah. no bones about it. He's like, you can buy me for an hour is what he said. Um, it's tempting, Zach. We could have Jason Aaron. It's up to 600 bucks as of two days ago. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know that's where not, it's at now. that's not unbeatable. Uh, you yeah. know, it's it's getting there. It's getting past. But he my, says the higher the bid, zone. the more of my dark secrets I'll reveal. <laughs> right. So if you're listening to this as part of the uh, patron uh, exclusive release, whatever. Well, I guess the thing will be done by then. But I still want to know what actually I, let's make it broader. Then I want to know, do you want to hear us talk to creators in general? Um, do you want to hear us interviewing more creators? Because we can make that more of a priority. Or do you just want it to be special Zach and Big Stilt Daddy time? Right, I, I think if we have guests on this show, it would just be folding them into our normal thing. Like, I, I, I mean, maybe you're good at interviewing. I don't think I'd be a, a good interviewer. Yeah, I, no, you, a, you wouldn't. A be. very specific set of skills <laughs> that like people overestimate their ability to do. I know you're making fun of me. I'd like, like to apologize I, for making fun of you. How, and, how many and, comic no, book podcasts, interview podcasts, have you listened to where you're like, this person doesn't really have any business interviewing like poor poor well, not many because those are the types of shows i wouldn't listen to <laughs> well know i know I mean? but it's like it's surprising sometimes i'm like wow this show has 500 episodes and they got like doug mensch and they have tom king and they have like these oh, big name people on it they i know who Bill you're talking Sinkevitz. about <laughs> oh i don't even know a specific one in particular no, but uh, but i still know the one you're talking about um yeah, i i just mean and it's kind of like i don't know i think there's a skill to being in, interview someone oh, and not just being hugely like, and not hugely. gushing <laughs> interviewing is a is a tremendous skill set it's very difficult yeah. um this is i think off panel is my favorite interview podcast anybody who likes the comics industry should definitely check that out that's done by david harper a journalist that i, I really respect and admire um i i am okay at it i think but again i have not done a ton of it and i i do think too like when you are you know when i go to a con or whatever and all of a sudden you're face to face with these people that i idolize <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know sure. it, yeah, yeah. it changes the ball game a bit right like you have to 
you have to treat it in, in a more professional context. So anyway, if that's something that you'd be interested in, um, it's something that we can make more of a push for. And, yeah. and certainly yeah, I've I, don't, actually I don't expect we're going to land like this... Chris Claremont, you know, tomorrow, but we can, we can do a little more of that. I know. Sometimes I'm surprised by the, uh, the big names from like, especially the, uh, the bronze age who like seemingly just want to, you know, go and talk about their work wherever. So I feel like we could get some of these big boys, but you know, the thing is, uh, yeah, again, I'd want to fold them into our thing, you know, have them talk about the comics. Cause I mean, I don't know. Interview podcasts seem like they're a dime a dozen. Um, yeah, I I would agree. Um, and I think I think the hardest part with that to, is we'd have yeah. to. So if it's not a, if it's a comic they worked on, I think that makes the most sense. Um, if it's not, Ooh, then we have to convince them uh, to read a bunch of comics, which I feel like is the toughest sell, probably. Sure. Depending on the yeah. person. Yeah, let's get Roy Thomas on to talk about his comics and watch just like two hours. Like you will be able to, like, just feel the sweat coming through your the sweat will be coming out of your earbuds uh that that will be pouring off of me because uh, so of how, we're gonna how bad so I feel about yeah for our for our two thousand dollar patron goal we're gonna try to interview roy thomas and we will sell we will give away the pack little bottles of zach's sweat that he is profusely <laughs> losing throughout the entire interview as yeah, you, the two of them exchange you've heard of cups. gamer girl bathwater. this is podcast boy sweat water <laughs> oh baby we found our first merch item let's get it rolling okay that's enough um that's enough i think non ultimate universe conversation i yeah, just i sure. wanted to float it because it's kind of timely and and i find it interesting yeah, um yeah. but let's let's dive into these things so the first issues we're going to talk about and zach i should just tell you now it probably doesn't show yet but i had the biggest the biggest boy breakfast okay. I may have okay, I was had. wondering where that sentence was going to go. <laughs> I had the biggest boys' breakfast this morning, and I'm so full. What and the I'm gonna hell be is so a boys' sleepy. breakfast? <laughs> it's like a very delicious, like kind of treat breakfast. So, like, a, like a, a biggest man's breakfast would be, you know, like you have your plain wheat cakes and your bacon. And like lumberjack's and, breakfast, exactly. Yeah. A lumberjack's breakfast. A big, the biggest boys' breakfast is like decadent pancakes. Like mm. we're talking. You know, raspberry streusel. Oh, I made or lemon. Okay, can I, can I lay these pancakes on you real quick? Last week, Rose made um, chocolate chip cupcakes with a peanut butter buttercream frosting, and oh, we had a bunch of the frosting up left over. My so I made like the inc- most incredible banana pancakes, and then we just spread peanut butter buttercream frosting on top of it. It was incredible, and I ate like one and a half, and was like, oh, I'm sick. I don't like to get this blue, but Zach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never been more turned on by something <laughs> you told me. <laughs> <laughs> they were really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's start up with Ultimate Fantastic Four, one through six, which is not, as I suspected, as I, not suspected, as I incorrectly thought, was written mm-hmm. by Warren Ellis. I thought Warren Ellis started this series. He doesn't come in till I think, the next arc. I think number seven maybe starts him. That's um, right. Or maybe, maybe the, the third arc. I'm not sure, but pretty soon. I think it's due, it is, which is next. Yeah. It is Mark Millar and Brian Michael Bendis collaborating, which is yeah. very interesting because I feel like they are a pretty good duo and they balance each other out in a, in a, a pretty good way. You know, well, like, we've talked think, about their different approaches to yeah. Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate X-Men kicking off the Ultimate Universe and blending those two things together now. Mm-hmm. You get, right, you get kind of the the sounder impulses of both, I think, mm-hmm. in yeah. collaboration. Yeah. Um, they also, I actually had the opportunity to see them. They did like a Bendis and M- Miller in conversation thing at uh, C2E2 a couple of years back. Oh, really? And they seem to have a very good relationship. <laughs> like they, at least now, and it, it seems like then, like they have a very fun, friendly, like collaborative thing. And, and it kind of comes across. I, I'm always curious when there are co-writers 
or co-storytellers mm-hmm. on a book, um, especially when they are typically not, you know, collaborators, which Bendis mm-hmm. and Miller aren't. Uh, but in this case, like, y- you read these, you would not know. It's two big kind of, like, up-and-coming stars yeah. working together and telling their own Fantastic Four story. Now, whether or not that means the book is a knockout or works, I I will have some thoughts on. Um, but as far as the way it reads, it reads well, it reads smoothly, and mm-hmm. it also yeah. reads about Reed, because this is a big old Reed origin story, uh, Reed yeah. Richards in the Ultimate Universe. Let's um let's talk about oh, what uh, Adam did you... Adam Q- Kubert on art as well. Who's been doing Ultimate X-Men as well, so yes, Mr. Yes, Adam yes. Well, I really, I'm here. really digging his art. Like, I he, like his he's work on X-Men great. a lot. He's doing great stuff, yeah. I, yeah, I, I really actually like especially him. love him inked by Danny Mickey, um, who does some inks and finishes, especially in mm-hmm. Ultimate X-Men 25. Which we're going to rink. He gets a credit yeah, for uh, finishes, feels, yeah. and I, I think his touches there are actually like like some of the best work in that series. Yeah. I was glad I looked right. up Kubert to see like you know if he's still working, and he's still doing a ton of big name comics for Marvel like up till now. So I, I was excited that like I will still be seeing his career for the next you know few decades in the mainline club at least. Yeah, my biggest problem with the Kuberts is I can never keep Adam and Andy straight. There are because four Kuberts in the Marvel Unlimited creator section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's this kind of amazing family of, of comics creators. Um, they're the oh, sons they of Joe Kubert. And uh, what's that? No, no, they're, they're all... They're, <laughs> they're all... There's four individual <laughs> non-related Kuberts. And they, <laughs> they're all comic book artists in an amazing tell. coincidence. Uh, no, no, they're all related. They're a family. I um, mean, Marvel has so many people working for them. I don't know. People sharing a last name. You're so silly, Zach. You are a goofball. Okay, so okay. <laughs> they're the son of Joe Kubert, who's a um, a pretty famous artist in his own right. I think probably the thing he's most famous for, I feel like, is like Sergeant Rock, DC in the 50s, <laughs> but I could be way off. Of heard of it. Uh, but Adam and Andy are, are both artists around the same time. I believe they are brothers, and I think Andy right now is doing the ongoing Wolverine comic for mm-hmm. Marvel uh, with writer Ben okay. Percy. So, yes. Long story short, super relevant, super incredible legacy. They also all kind of run or have some part in the Kubert School of Art, which has a, a really cool, um, what, do you, what would you call it, like murderer's row of artists who have attended there and learned their style and, and technique there. So, like, pretty cool, pretty cool comics, like, legacy for this family. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Huh, yeah. never heard of, I didn't know about any of that. Um, okay, so... You want to talk about the the broad strokes of the story? Let's talk about broad strokes. Let's talk about the changes. So this is our... We have six issues here of a Fantastic Four origin story. Really a Reed Richards origin (laughs) story. We get two Fantastic Four origin stories this year, or this episode. Which (laughs) is notable, right? Which is, is, I think, in contrast... But we'll get to the team up, yeah. Yeah, you know, it it says a lot about it. Um, The biggest changes that Bendis and Miller bring to the table. One, we're doing kid Reed, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so instead of... Fantastic Four number one by Stanley Jack Kirby in uh, 1961. Pardon me. Um, we have Kid Reed. He's in middle school when we meet him. And he is from an abusive home, particularly his father is a bully and an abusive dad. And mm-hmm. Reed is this uh, child genius that they don't not only don't know what to do with, um, but his dad is like verbally actively antagonistic towards his, you know, his yeah. dreams of science. It's ham fisted. It's also really uncomfortable. Um, it meant to be so because uh, Reed's dad sucks. And it's uh, it's really, I think, putting in contrast, like, how would you say it? Like bullying as a nemesis, essentially, um, and Reed's opposition to that. I think this will be a theme throughout Reed Richards in the Ultimate Universe. And it's really interesting the more you know as you go. Uh, as this progresses, like Reed has a really troubled childhood and that will 
continue to matter. Um, yeah, I like I like that con I like that in context of because the thing that I was kind of concerned about is that that was just going to be, oh poor genius Reed Richards has such a tough time of it. Look how much of like an amazing kid he is, and no one gets it, but you, the reader, understand. And you know, like he's this kind of uh, I don't know, like like the comic is clearly just. I feel like sometimes the way to make to, to build sympathy for your heroes is just to pile on them and show like oh they're just misunderstood like clearly they're a genius and they are this like incredible wonderkind and no one gets it and everyone hates them and they're bullied and that's why we like them you know I don't think that's what this necessarily is leaning into uh, I think it does something more interesting at least to me which is that it kind of gives him a chip on his shoulder a little bit mm-hmm. which we will see more and more as time goes on but you can see a little bit of that already in the way that like uh, he interacts with like Victor Von Doom I think uh, he's pretty well, like closed off to, to Doom for a while and I don't know yeah he's not he's not necessarily just the magnanimous do-gooder you know yeah, kind of right, thing because I, I, mean. I think one thing that Bendis and Miller are potentially grappling with even if they don't maybe even fully have it formed at this point is Silver Age Reed as done by Stan and Jack, you know, most readers now come away and think Reed Richards is a jerk, right? But like the comic he, doesn't think that. The comic does right? not think that. It is yes, not yeah. an intended reading, I don't think, for especially for the time, I would say. But a lot of readers now would be like, Reed Richards is the absolute worst. And it's not just Stan and Jack. Like, a lot of things he does continues, um, mm-hmm. even into, we're in the 80s right now, in the Modern World of Year Club. Um, and, you know, Reed, like, making arguments for Galactus. <laughs> in Secret <laughs> Wars or in yeah. the the really cool trial of Reed Richards, these sorts of things. It's like he can do these, he can make these decisions where he's just not really cognizant of of human emotion and or, or like you know sentient being empathy uh, in the way that you know like other people are. So I think they're kind of grappling with that idea about how do we set the stage for him being kind of a messed up jerk <laughs> sometimes, but mm-hmm. also the leader of the Fantastic Four. And that's going to really, really matter in the Ultimate Universe um, a number of years later, frankly. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it just kind of gives you... I mean, if Reed Richards is a jerk, I'm interested in that, but I'm also interested to see why. You know, I want him to be a fully yeah, fleshed out right. character. If he has a big ego and he always thinks he knows best and he bristles when anyone questions him, it you know, it's... I, I mean, it, I just like having a, a well-developed, you know, three-dimensional character where you can see some of that. You know, you can kind of understand where he's coming from based on the, the hard time he had growing up that said that said Mm -hmm. i don't i don't like the decision structurally Mm -hmm. to keep teenager reed richards i mean they're not teens to be fair they are not in high school they are like college age like all of them are fresh out of high school they're all 20 ish the the six issues progress fairly quickly right so we start with him in middle school and we progress up to the time he is maybe of drinking age right like maybe we get to that point i do still that that I don't know. On like on one hand, I know throughout these issues, I've been saying I want to see the changes. Yeah. I want to see what is your version of the Ultimate Universe. Do different stuff, even if it doesn't work. So, I appreciate that they make them all, you know, teenage to college aged, and all kind of meeting together in uh, this storm like academy of kid geniuses, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the Baxter Building. So like that's. Reed gets pulled in. He gets discovered at a science fair because all the kids are doing their homemade volcanoes or whatever, and he's got, like, a straight-up teleportation engine. <laughs> and he's <laughs> just, like, apologizing. He's like, I-, I only can teleport things one way. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it's cute. And they're like, cool, we found a genius. So he goes to this school for geniuses. That's where um, Johnny and Sue are. Their dad runs it, Mr. Storm. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and and Ben Grimm was his best friend back in like public school. Okay, Which so I, that's how we I like. I like all that. That like Ben is his, you know, kind of best bud and defender. Right, like the the touch that Reed Richards' father really likes Ben Grimm because he's a good, you know, he's like he's he's what every man wants his son to be. You know, big he's this big and tough guy athlete, who yeah. who's on the football team and um yeah, like just kind of rubbing that salt in the wound. But yeah. um. Yeah, I, I like I like establishing that relationship instead of it kind of being in the mainline thing. It's just like suggested that they were friends in college, right? Their high school or their mm-hmm. college roommates, right? I do um, think you lose something with Reed mm-hmm. when you're when you're putting him in the Fantastic Four or the beginnings of the Fantastic Four in this very young, undeveloped formation period, right? When he is still figuring out who he is, whereas in Earth Six One Six. Reed is a he's a forty something year old man, right? This yeah. that Reed Richards is who he is. Well, he well has not a, not according to Stanley. Stanley's just like, no, he's thirty two. He just got the white hair from the war. <laughs> <laughs> he just looks yeah. old as heck. Um, and no, then he, if you but ask he's John like, Byrne, yeah, different story. Well, and he's like the paternal kind of father figure of heroes. You know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. him between him and like Captain America. You know, yep, they kind of have sure. like a yeah. we are the old guard of the new wave of heroes. You can't do that. Yeah. In, in Ultimate Fantastic Four. So I think there's a little there's a little bit of trying to be like, well, what works about Spider-Man? And what works about the way we're doing the X-Men? Let's make everyone teens, right? Everyone starts younger. For Spider-Man, that's great. Keep him in high school. It works fantastically. For the X-Men, uh, we, we've been a little more back and forth on it, right? Is that a good decision? Isn't it? I, I tend to waffle. On Fantastic Four, I don't think it works as well. I like them as the adults in the room when, for example, Peter Parker shows up, um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think about that bigger decision? I don't, I, I don't think I have uh, as much of a problem with it, except that maybe it does feel like dipping into the same well that we're already at with Spider-Man, like mm-hmm. that Bendis, Bendis specifically, who probably helped architect, architect this, who helped, uh, you know, engineer this, is, uh, you know, just, I mean, Bendis and teen voices. That's what he does. Doesn't matter if they're teens or, you know, forty-five-year-old security guards. They sound yeah. like bubbly teenagers so you know he's leaning into what he knows um i don't know the the teen fantastic four is not my memory of the whole series when i when i think about reading this so i i don't remember if it kind of sticks to this you know like i I don't remember if past this arc we really stay in the i'm still figuring it out phase Um, i mean i guess it's kind of young adult you know yeah for sure yes it's not what you're saying where like they're the you know adult heroes making adult decisions for sure no they're not the ultimates actually i guess is is the context put it in whereas because the ultimates i think for all of the long conversation we had on it by miller and hitch like it's it's actually pretty refreshing in the ultimate universe to be like oh here are the adult heroes right and here's what they're doing um and the fantastic four maybe by virtue of being introduced after the ultimates you know Mm -hmm. um they're kind of like well i guess they kind of have to be younger so instead of pairing them on the ultimates side of the Marvel Universe, you pair them on the actually everyone here is kind of a kid, so the teen, you know, side of it. And I just don't, I don't care for that as much as the Fantastic Four. Um, hmm. I don't think they work quite as well in that in that model. But that is, we'll see as it plays out. Like at the end of the day, if they're in really compelling stories, it's kind of a semantics thing. You know, it's not going. Yeah, to yeah. I mean, now you're kind of just talking expectations, um, which is fair. Sure. I mean, you know, there are. It is impossible to remove what you like about a character and it's just like well this is bringing none of that to it so you know i i think that's fair um i think i'd be more open to like like bigger character changes you know 
sort mm-hmm. of thing like yeah the idea I mean, of of or ben being a woman even or um sue being like a totally different personality type yeah, or gender sue gets a real different short, circumstances shrift here yeah 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 I'm just, those sorts of things to yeah. me would open up different storytelling options because really what they're doing is just okay just them but younger but yep. otherwise these are the yep. characters that we know from earth 616 yeah yeah i agree um and i also don't think yeah like nothing nothing about ben or sue or johnny feels different at all reed's the yeah. only one who feels like distinguished here and it's simply because he's kind of a young bumbling kid um well but you I, get you to know his family i mean this is a book that's like we we care yeah. to show you his origins and yeah. everyone yeah. else gets you know kind of second fiddle uh, i do like what i what i like about this because uh, all that stuff is fine to me but it's not like stuff that i you know stands out that i'm over the moon about um what i do like is the revitalized like origin here it's tied into the negative zone yeah so reed you know since he was a teenager has been like tooling around trying to find this other dimension he talks about like a multiverse and he knows this place called the negative zone where he's been sending uh toy cars which is a good reveal at the end of issue one i think when they uh this big science facility is like we're you know we're glad to have you we've been wondering where these toy cars are coming from and you see this big football field viewing screen of the end zone and uh end zone is that right i just said that and it sounds weird that's what they're calling it yeah yeah negative zone okay um it sounded too much like the end zone and i was like i just said football so maybe i'm <laughs> you're sending all of the toy cars to the end zone yeah yeah the end and then zone. there's like his cars are just floating there in the negative zone which uh which is fun um yeah i, I like that it's tied into more than that than like they're all in a spaceship and they go to i mean that, that that's always been a flimsy thing that people have had to find interesting ways to deal with you know mm. cosmic rays um it's not a particularly interesting origin it's a little more interesting to be tied into reeds um i don't know they steal in... a spaceship because <laughs> somebody left it unlocked yeah oh no i mean it's it's fun <laughs> it's pretty fun. like it can't be fun but like it has nothing to do with them as care you know it's not spider-man where like the the identity of the fantastic four and what that comic is all about is tied into space travel and getting hit by cosmic rays i mean people have told uh-huh, them later uh-huh. right like reed's hubris led them to jump into space before they were ready whatever you have a little sure. of it here but it also is like victor von doom is collaborating with reed richards and makes some last minute changes that apparently blow up this you know teleporting negative zone thing and th- that's what causes all the changes well and i think I, all that is really smart i i, I yeah. totally agree i think you yeah, are the, I, they're combining the same way that like their Green ingenuity Goblin is woven into spider-man's origin i like that in in ultimate yeah, you're saying yeah, yeah. yeah totally yeah. no i like that and and it's also like you just said like it's bringing in victor van damme here who is doom um he is a european exchange student at the same academy and so you bring together instead of doom working on his own experiments to free his mother from mephisto it's mm-hmm. him working with reed and insisting on his calculations for the end zone right that sort of thing um so it, it merges kind of all of those origin things into one very sensible thread which mm-hmm. is they're all working on this project to be able to transport to the end zone. Uh, and that leads to a, whether it's Reed or Von Doom's fault, we don't totally know at this point. Reed blames Victor. Um, mm-hmm. I do really like the moment. So there's a few moments I really like. There's a huge explosion, and it leads to the creation of the Fantastic Four, right? There's two aspects to this I really enjoy. One is the body horror <laughs> that yeah. comes out of this. Yeah, the, this the, leads that first into, shot of Reed. He's just this, this flailing, almost like Cthulhu type alien mess oh it's it's got like huge jinji ito vibes to it we're just Uh like some some human 
ish thing is like pleading with you for help but it's just all limbs and it's just like yeah. big spaghetti arm limbs yeah it's real creepy and each member of the Fantastic Four kind of gets that moment right of yep. like powers developing in kind of grotesque and extremely uncomfortable ways I think it it sells that sort of fear that is caught very momentarily very fleetingly in Fantastic Four number one um, mm-hmm. in the in Earth 616 and it sells that in kind of new ways which obviously like that's the one thing that the 2015, what is it, Josh Trank, mm-hmm. the director there, uh, movie yeah. kind of took that I thought was like a really good idea that they took, which was we should make this gross. Um, this transformation scary. should be yeah. kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, I do think that does work, uh, especially when you have other people observing it. It's not just the four of them all figuring it out together. Mm-hmm. The other piece that I really like there is in the aftermath of the explosion, after Reed, they kind of re- like recognize, okay, he's not an alien, it's, it's Reed. Um, he is furious and he is beyond insistent that he does not make mistakes and i think that is where we see kind of what you were saying at the very start of this um the the hubris mm-hmm. of reed the way the chip on his shoulder comes out when he's mad right you get to see that he is like it's not endearing <laughs> you know what i mean like we're not like oh yeah he's a genius like he's a genius and a hero exactly. he doesn't that, make mistakes yeah. it's like yeah, no he's an I mean. angry kid this is not like a hagiography of uh, of Reed Richards, which which is what I, I'm saying. Like I mm-hmm. appreciate that it doesn't just like you know turn him into a martyr because of all these like you know of the bullying and the like lack of understanding from his peers. Yeah. yeah. And then all so all that leads to the transformation. Now this all connects now to probably the piece of this origin that I'm the least interested in, Same. which is yeah. the most steadfastly like oh we better do it like Stan and Jack did it in Fantastic Four number one, which yep. is using the moment. So, yeah, 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 I totally have, agree. I mean, it, it's fun in the, you know, it's like fun theoretically to be like, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to do Mole Man just like the original one. But then yeah. you get to it and it's just like, I don't know, he's not, I like him as the teacher. <laughs> you know, I like that aspect of it when he is this kind of, uh, he's their science teacher at the Baxter building. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets fired because he is trying to create life out of mold. And he gets fired by General Ross, who like is already dead in the ultimate universe. Um, didn't he die in like... A, a Hulk issue or something? He's definitely like already dead here. If he did, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I'm gonna look up Ultimate General Ross. Anyway, I like Please him do. in that aspect, but then he turns into the supervillain under the ground who has, you know, whatever. Yeah, he's Doctor Arthur Mulkevich uh-huh. <laughs> to begin. Uh, he is a teacher. He is already like beyond over the top, um, like grotesque. You know, mm-hmm. in his design before he goes underground, um, you know, just like dirty and unkempt and just like growths kind of all over his body. And uh, he gets fired. He gets mad and he goes underground and, and begins working on his molides. He captures Sue, of course. So they do go full damsel in distress in within the first six issues. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Sue gets uh, very little here. Which is no, funny. she doesn't get to do much. Um, her her romance with Reed does sort of begin developing throughout these issues. Right. They're clearly planting those seeds as it progresses johnny I mean, tells reed me hey if you ask her out i bet she'd like that you know yeah, yeah they're um, smooching and it doesn't matter i mean that that feels just like chicking off a box because it's like that's the development stage we, we get absolutely get no smooching. yeah we don't get any build up to that though we don't get like we don't really get to see them interacting or yeah, there's you know, a few there's, small moments of them having conversations yeah. reed kind of staring her being like what and then turning and then giving him a little <laughs> smile back. sure right little exactly. things in the art yeah um but yeah it's the mole man thing is he sends a big giant mole creature up to the earth because hey stand injected in test four number one test four fight it and uh we have our unit the the most interesting part of the explosion ending is nobody knows where victor van damme has gone 
We just need to your find your favorite him. trope is that Doctor <laughs> well, Doom has vanished. <laughs> I don't know if this quite fits into that, but it, that's it's true. It's not. It's not quite that, but it is. I don't know. I feel like it's uh, it's echoing with that. Yeah, we. I guess let's talk about it because we just. So we also recorded um, our discussion of Secret Wars this week in the Earth Six One Six, and that is, you know, I talk about how much I love Doctor Doom in that story. These early moments of Doom, they work, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not exciting. There's nothing really great about them. Um, no, not. I mean, this is definitely he's just like, kind of there. Hey, you, yeah, you know what he is, so you're kind of curious. But like, out of context of who Doctor Doom is, this is you know. He's just another kid who kind of has an attitude. I, I do like the, uh, I mean, he, some of Bendis' dialogue works really well here. Like, it's really snappy. I love the scene where Reed Richards uh, approaches him. Doom, or um, Victor, has broken into his room and is, like, playing with his calculations and, like, yeah. writing in his notebooks. And Reed Richards kicks him out, and he's furious. And then he looks, and he realizes that Victor was right, like, that Reed had something wrong. And he goes to approach him, and he has this conversation where he's trying to, like, explain to him, like, you're correct, it was just your approach, and Victor's just like, I know, I understand, I get it, like, and is cutting him off, and it feels like very good, sharp dialogue, um, yeah. which sometimes that back and forth, most of the time, I actually would say that back and forth stuff does not feel as, uh, like it has that kind of spark and electricity, yeah. um, but uh, but a lot of this this works well. And there, the yeah, stylistic I, things with the with the Bendisi dialogue, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about a lot, so I don't want to harp on too much in this episode, but I will say mm-hmm. here, like, when I'm just where I am as a reader in 2020 now, having read through the Ultimate Universe before, when I hit a page and it's like 75 word balloons circling around characters, mm-hmm. I'm just we like, get one of those in Spider-Man, nope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. And I'm, I'm just like, am, am I going to glean anything from this? Are you saying anything or are you kind of like, there are times where I kind of feel like Bendis probably just goes, uh, you know, like his eyes unfocus and he just like... Yeah. types and then he's just like oh boy all right that's a uh, i guess that sounds like a philosophy that someone might have all right well good. and i do Print I, it. <laughs> I, I, right totally i do have to credit like it's more work a lot of people like the first time i read it i really enjoyed it for sure mm-hmm. there are many readers who will appreciate more text than less as far as like value of a comic goes i think we have to acknowledge that especially wild. like I, if I it's your first time through and you're not measure. reading them like you're doing homework you know like we have a yeah extenuating circumstances where we're like i have to get through these issues in a certain amount of time if you're just reading for fun it's a little different uh the other thing too is like the sort of creative vision to get that many words on a page and kind of have these like snaking word balloon texts i think it's kind of underrated <laughs> like they the, nobody in, in marvel at least was like now it's a trope but at the time mm-hmm. like that was not a thing people did you know what i mean like it does kind of lessen the burden of the dialogue by making it visually like these snaking word balloons. I don't know. There's mm. something to that stylistically no, where you I, instantly I, I, know it's a Bendis book, saying. but it's also like, like it's visually a little different than what you're used to. It it's is not, not Steranko's column of like, that is literally what I was about to say. Those are the next words out of my mouth. Yeah. Like, it is not a small essay by Steranko where you're just like, okay, all right, I gotta, I gotta, gotta not blink really for pa- two and a half on minutes. The brain power to get through this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so, okay, any more Fantastic Four thoughts before we go to the, the connected team-up issue? No, um, I don't think we're going to have that much about this, because this is a weird... This is another one of those, like, hey, let's just introduce the Fantastic Four in a weird throwaway comedy issue of Marvel team-up that we're also just going to toss later. And it's like, we have... I mean, we've talked about this a million times, but team-up just sometimes does that thing where it's like, you have the ultimate universe. We can recreate these characters however we see. Or, or they'll be the exact same characters that we have always known. Like, yeah. 
This yeah. is literally a sixteen or six one six issue. There's there's nothing about this that makes this ultimate versus six one six, except that like Peter Parker's in high school. Well, and we should me- right, and we should mention this is so this team up issue was published in late two thousand one. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four launches in two thousand three, which right, is essentially yeah. the chronology of the Ultimate Universe that we're going to be talking about today. So the reason we throw this team up issue in here is because the Fantastic Four can't have showed up like this in the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. any sense yeah. at all. Um, it's just again, like you said, a throwaway. Just like oh, let's just play with it and see what happens. It's except fun. they I, don't play I with like it. This issue, it's just it's uh, uh you know what it reminded me of. It's like those. Those issues that we could barely get through in the 60s um, that are lampooning all of the Marvel inside baseball bullpen stuff. All I can think now is Foom, which is the magazine that came later. Yeah, uh, not Brand Ech. Yeah. Those not yeah, Brand yeah. Ech things where they're just like super weird, like Mad Magazine-esque. Like that's what it devolves into over the last half of the book um, where you have Joe Quesada calling up Morton Scorsese in a, in a panel that should have been everywhere when Scorsese was saying superhero movies aren't cinema <laughs> oh, yeah, and asking him if he point. wants to write a superhero book like it's yeah. so great um but yeah, it's very inside baseball you get the little editorial like call like um meta call outs but i mean otherwise there's it's just someone, spidey as an there's intern some guy working at marvel talking to electra saying like i saved marvel comics you know and i don't know who that is except maybe bill James? i think it's ralph macchio the editor okay all right he and keeps then talking electra. about like hey you know you know i worked with uh, frank miller one time it has that mad magazine vibe of like Electra is standing there and written on her shirt it just says I die often yeah and it's like oh, yeah okay I mean if you know Marvel comics you'll be like it's a reference I get I, what I I mean what is fun about this is the the Jim Mafood art I really uh-huh. like Jim Mafood style here it's like it totally pairs with this it's like it's really fun and freewheeling and um, that's Marvel has... team up's greatest strength is hey what yeah. weird unique style are we going to get uh, from the exactly. art side this yeah. this month otherwise i mean you do not need to read this oh i mean you get the the scrolls here which also don't not about scroll showing show actually the yeah the scrolls are kind of fun they just i mean the scrolls just overrun the whole place yeah um yeah i don't know this this was fun i i had fun reading this um i wish i could yeah, remember Jim this is a bad oh. bad podcasting but i wish i could remember there's a joke that made me laugh out loud that came out mm. of the scrolls mouth like they do not talk like aliens they talk like uh, sullen teenagers. Uh, yeah, I think there's just like first thing we need to do, or you need to do, is bring us the head of Reed Richards. Or I mean, I guess that doesn't need to be the first head you bring us, but bring us bring us his head eventually. <laughs> Something yeah, like that. Yeah, no. they're they're yeah, pure comedy. Um, or you intended that way. It's not hilarious, but you know, it's intended to be fun. It's funny. also it's not it's also not Marvel, so it's it's uh you know oh not at not all painful. This is yeah. this oh, is was, was it the joke? Doctor Richards is your crotch talking. <laughs> that, that's the one that's the one that got you i got my attention but i don't think that was it actually <laughs> which is just um, an invisible sue <laughs> yeah yeah that's not yeah. bad uh okay so that's marvel team up and we are officially done with <laughs> with marvel team up now we can cross that off now that we've done the super weird fantastic now Four. let's Why get to happen? marvel what's the next like weirdo series that we're gonna read um in like ultimate marvel? yeah uh like what is adventure? the next weird like ultimate powers ultimate adventures maybe yeah ultimate adventures is pretty infamous right i would but say I that's, that's probably going. the strangest thing we're going to read next because everything else so episode seven that's is going to be nine. the big ultimate yeah. war crossover mm-hmm. x-men spider-man eight is going to be that's... spider-man ultimate six crossover spider-man fantastic four so everything's mm-hmm. pretty normal until we get to nine and then we get the weird adventures yeah um which i'm curious about i remember yeah. them being bad but uh at least they're i mean that just a preview i guess ultimate adventures is like the first thing that the ultimate universe does where they're like hey something that we're not copying, right? This is a brand new yeah. endeavor, right? Yeah. So that's something. It doesn't work, but it's something. Um, okay. So uh, 
Let's see. Let's jump into Ultimate Spider-Man 33 through 39, the Venom arc. Do they ever call him Venom in this? I don't know if the word Venom ever comes up. Ooh, interesting uh, or question. Or like symbiote. I don't know. I don't. Well, they call it. Well, at some point they call it the Venom Project. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's actually in these arcs. But regardless, mm-hmm. it, these issues are, It's. I mean, it's the Venom story. Um, yeah. Now, I should mention here, let's mention right off the bat, in the My Marvelous Year Earth 616 Club, we have not gotten to Venom yet. So as we yeah, talk sure. of the Ultimate Universe version, if you haven't read those stories and you kind of don't know how it happens, uh, I would recommend uh, maybe coming back to the this conversation because I would like to talk about the differences without, uh, you know, I'm not going to aggressively spoil things, but I'm going to talk about them. Like they're yeah, I mean, I, I've, I have not read, I have re- not read the Venom era of Spider-Man comics, but I think just through like being around Marvel, I generally it's know it. Spider-Man so I don't think we're three. Not... It's in the animated series. Like this is not yeah. some big secret here. Um, but yeah. again, if that's something you're really sensitive to, and you're like, I'm going through the Marvel universe the first time. Fair warning. Uh, we're going to talk about it here because it comes up in Ultimate first in our sure. little shared reading club experience. So. Things that I really like about... First off, I think this Venom arc is... I think it's Bendis and Bagley's best story so far. Whoa, Um, okay. I think it's also... This is the one where they start to say... And and we kind of talked about this last time, I think. But it's like, we... we, This is our ultimate universe. This is our ultimate Mm Spider-Man. We're going to do our version of these stories, right? Everything to this point has mostly been about like adapting spider-man mm-hmm. and yes you're adapting venom you're still bringing in characters but now there are these sort of changes where you're like here's our version of eddie brock and here's his connection to peter and it's totally different than anything we've been familiar with in earth 616 i think if you don't like ultimate spider-man by the time ultimate 39 is over stop reading you're not going to start liking ultimate spider-man potentially until 2011 in the ultimate universe like, this is the series. This is the style, and this is the book. Um, okay, what are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, I, d- I mean, I definitely don't agree that it's the best arc they've done so far. I really like the Green Goblin and the uh, the Spider-Man lookalike stuff from the last batch we read. The last more. Goblin story definitely comes close. That's yeah, very this, good. This, this, I, like, I, this is fine. It's, you know, it's Bendis and Bagley. It reads fine. It's junk food Spider-Man, which is not to say junk it's... Junk food Spider-Man. That's bad, you know, it's tasty, but it you know feels un- insubstantial. I think okay, um, unsubstantial. The, the thing about this, okay, so let, let's talk about. They make a bunch of changes to Venom. I don't know if I care about any of them. Um, like I have no you know uh, fondness for the original Venom story or whatever. I don't have any you know attachment to that. But what happens here is that Peter Parker finds out that his father was a scientist who was working with an Ed Brock. And that he was childhood friends with a guy named Eddie Brock, who's a few years older than him. And then their parents all died together on the same plane crash. And he tracks down Eddie Brock, finds out the project that their parents were working on. Eddie Brock, in college, has picked up. And it is basically the Venom symbiote, right? It's supposed to be like a cancer-curing goo that, like, you know, creates a suit on top of you. And it uses your own cells to fight cancer, etc. Mm-hmm. That's the big change. I don't know what this adds. I feel like this was the... This all felt like set dressing for significance (laughs) like this is significant it is you know the idea of legacy and you know responsibility Uh of carrying on the legacy blah 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 but didn't actually do anything with that or talk about it in interesting ways if at all um it just felt kind of muddled here's what it adds yeah it adds a pretty big change to spider-man's 
relationship and understanding of his parents. Mm-hmm. In Earth 616, you have the perpetually less interesting than it sounds like it would be situation. <laughs> super spies killed his by parents the Red Skull. Super spies killed by <laughs> yeah. the Red Skull. Yeah. Exactly. As revealed in, uh, what is it, AMS Annual 6, maybe? 5, 6, yeah. 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 Something like that. Um, yeah. and, and that never is satisfying. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right? Super spy parents, like, big secret, thrown in there. It doesn't add anything to Peter Parker mm-hmm. at all. Uh, it comes up here and again, even now, but it doesn't really add anything. In this, you get the far more sensible, I would say, his dad, at least, was a scientist. And not only was he a scientist, but he was a scientist that was developing the Venom symbiote mm-hmm. for the purposes of a cure for cancer. So mm-hmm. it gives you some it gives you the same sort of like do good or feeling that I think his dad being a secret American spy was supposed to give you. Um, but it does so in a way that it's like, well, Peter's also a super science genius. Like that's something he shares with his dad. Now I think that's more meaningful. I think him, Peter watching old videos of his parents and, and clearly having just this like very emotional experience, you know, he's been orphaned since he was a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it adds more to it because he can connect with them, not just because they're his parents, but because like his dad was doing something that he understands and loves as well. I think that's actually a really smart change. I think, Connecting Venom to the Parker legacy makes a lot more sense than a costume machine in the Secret Wars Battle World. Planet. Sure, that that's <laughs> always like a surprise when you learn that that's where Venom came from, which is clearly yeah. not where they what they were planning on doing. You know, I think they they were just doing a black later. costume. Right, Let's they not were give like, a Jim cool Shooter exact credit for Venom. It's that they are exactly. not the creators, yeah, right? Yeah. But that's where the costume comes from. I and, I just think that like w- what you're saying is all true on its surface. That I think like structurally it's interesting to tie like peter parker's father into him and you know like they're both scientists they're both striving for something they both you know feel this responsibility they're fighting against this world that they're you know both feeling frustrated by etc i just don't see that playing out in any interesting way later like you you don't get any kind of like introspection from peter parker that like you know, what What do I do with this legacy? Do I, you know, have to honor his legacy even if I think it's wrong? Do I have to... I think you get exactly that in the, in these in these issues because he has to weigh the decision. Do I destroy this Venom symbiote or do we carry on their work? Doesn't he just um, destroy it? I don't I don't think there's like a big... He, tro- he plans to, but Eddie Brock uh, decides otherwise. Yeah, I, I'm and, just saying like it doesn't actually seem like... A, big decision there you know like we, we oh, don't he has a big uh, he has a big confrontation with eddie in the lab so uh, the, the, we the disagree thing is bendis keeps having these like big long diatribes here like he's watching a videotape from his father and it's it's one of these pages you were talking about with dialogue snaking across the screen and his yeah. father is like everyone's trying to be more than they want to be which would be fine if they actually earned it but that isn't the case it drives me crazy they never for a second do they try to be better they just want to appear to be better and that's the whole world. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be taking from this, except, like, other people suck, Peter. Take that away with you. Uh, like, I, I don't know. There's just, like, a lack of, like, cohesion to this. I, I never felt any kind of, like, clear messaging or theming over, like, what Peter was going through discovering all this, except excitement, you know? He's, like, excited mm-hmm. that his father was a scientist and was working on something in the disappointment when it turned out to be not something he could do there's just all this like text around it that feels muddled and confused versus like i'm reading rebirth era batman stuff right now mm-hmm. and dick grayson has a really interesting relationship with batman that feels like so clearly defined right like he has this like 
push pull with Batman. He like wants to be better than Batman, but he still like respects Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about legacy, right? Like his legacy of becoming the protege to Batman while still rising above what Batman is. Yeah, that all that stuff all like rings really true, and also feels like it's really coming through in the comic. I just didn't know what it was trying to say about this. Besides, isn't it cool? Your dad's also a scientist. It ties yeah. in plot wise, which is fine. Except that he also goes into these big, long winded speeches that don't really land for me. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, them not yep. hitting as well. Um, or or just being clear, even, I think is fair. Yeah, I, th- that last thing from his dad was so weird to me, because it was just, like, one long text thing about how, like, him just being angry at the world uh, and other people who uh, who aren't as heroic. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. what a weird message to leave your son, just to this, like, bitter, angry thing. Which, I don't know if that was the point, but... Um. I don't know, It's it's also, like, it is fairly believable that a dad's final message to his kid after having been, you know, screwed over by a major yeah. corporation in their scientific research would be less than uh, coherent. <laughs> like, yeah, like, not every sure. father is capable I, of the uh, the life-altering you, monologue. You know what? I think Bendis actually, like, in these issues, does a decent job of doing, like, subtextual characterization with Eddie Brock. He has some really... I wish Eddie Brock got fleshed out a lot more in this. Like, I feel like we don't spend nearly enough time getting to know Eddie Brock. Mm -hmm. Um, But he has a few moments here that I think are really smart, well-observed character uh, observations about Eddie Brock. Like, we see him give this little speech. And so Eddie Brock's in college. Peter Parker's in high school. So this is the other other change that I quite like. Yeah. Is the Eddie Eddie, Brock-Peter relationship. Yeah, instead of them just being... I mean, Eddie Brock is just a rando in the uh, in the normal. Well, they're like rival colleagues at most. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but like Eddie Peter, they're Brock, like they has... were kids. They were friends as kids, and now yeah. Peter calls him out of the blue when he finds this tape to be like, hey, and Eddie's I found this like video thrilled, of like, hey, it's cool. You know, I'll be kind of a big brother mentor to you, and like, I'll I'll yeah. show you the ropes about what college life is like. And he gives him this speech about you know, like, not in ten years, not in fifty. In five years, you won't remember any of this, and all this will be so meaningless, blah, blah, blah. And then, Specifically like, to the MJ breakup that happened right. last week. And then later, he's hanging out and hitting on Gwen Stacy, and you see him, like, word for word, saying the same exact thing. Yeah. Um, which is, like, I don't know. That, that's a smart uh, way of characterizing somebody. It's like, yeah, they have weird little speeches. They, like, clearly have a self-image that they are pushing out there as the cool older guy. I wish there's more his of that. Heel turn, uh, his yeah. heel turn, I think, is very subtly done (laughs) honestly like it's not super obvious that he's gonna be quote-unquote the bad guy um until it's these moments of he decides to take Gwen to a reggae concert they go oh that is the most like 2002 detail of this is like hey teenage high school girl you like reggae oh i love reggae i I can't wait to get to college just so i can see all the free reggae that college has to offer (laughs) like he talks about college was full of so much free reggae oh my gosh yeah that's very funny yeah that was pretty great um but they when they wind up and and actually that there's a sequence of peter getting the symbiote on him which clearly they were like panels of a reggae dance party at the concert it's a super (laughs) weird aesthetic choice didn't you feel like they were writing that for the screen they were just like well this will make sense if you could hear it man if you (laughs) You you could hear the whalers right now this this scene would be (laughs) in your grill i was like what i don't think that's that would even be true this is a way more dramatic moment than uh than little bird but um anyway (laughs) (laughs) anyway when gwen winds up back in eddie's room um in his college room alone with him you know this young high school girl he Mm -hmm. makes a move 
and like tries to kiss her or whatever and she says no i'm not here to do that and then eddie's like well what did you think i was like what did you think we were doing and then and he they, turns the, the nice guy entitled you know you're just a tease get out yeah um and then and then you get the visual of you know eddie's mad and eddie's a bad guy um and and gwen's clearly upset right and and she like tells him too like i'm too young and he has the probably the grossest line he has there is like something like if she says i'm too young and he's like well what did you think like i thought a girl like you wouldn't care about something like that yeah uh, right. which is like such a way to deflect your own responsibility yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to not yeah uh, I, do not I, violate like that. i said i think all that's like pretty well observed stuff i wish i i think what i mean is that like it comes back to the overall plotting of this where it's just like i think they had the set the, the structure to have a really interesting dynamic here where like eddie brock and peter parker are in the same exact circumstances. And we see them diverge with this, right? Like, Peter Parker gets the power of Venom and fights it off mm-hmm. and decides that, like, oh, it's, you know, it's taking over and it's fueling his worst instincts and he gets rid of it. Whereas Eddie Brock, like, gives into it and even despite being warned off, puts on the suit and it takes over. But, like, it takes over because he's not super powered, right? I think it just feels like kind of a, a missed opportunity to not, like, have a duality here where, like, these are two characters who have the same set of circumstances and here's why... Here's the split. Here's the moment like that like caused them to split differently. You know, Peter Parker had Uncle Ben's words in his mind, and mm-hmm. Eddie Brock didn't. Or like we never really understand why Eddie Brock has the chip on his shoulder. You know, okay. he's just a, he's just okay. a sleaze, which is fine. I mean, I'm I'm being a little critical. Like these are these are not failures of comics by any means. I just like I saw a lot of potential and it just didn't feel cashed in on here. Like it kind of felt like they had these ideas and then it just never quite solidified on the page. Well, I think me. that thing you just mentioned specifically is is true. I mean, we don't know based on what we're told here why why would Eddie why is Eddie different than Peter? Yeah. Right? We do, we do not have that answer <laughs> aside from yeah. just characters are different and <laughs> like he has a different personality and here's the road that he chooses chooses um the one thing i'll mention too about peter having the symbiote that's one issue <laughs> that's I, yeah a yeah, yeah. single issue of spider-man in the black suit which is a thing that went for uh obviously like a number years, of right? i don't know about years but uh well yeah i mean on and a off couple again, of years right least, certainly yeah. certainly multiple issues and across multiple series mm-hmm. in earth 616 uh it's a single issue where yeah. he has the costume and he fights it off. And that's it it's both amazing economy of storytelling, but then the Venom saga is still 6 7 issues long, so it's not like it's sped through. It's it, they make some interesting choices here. Um same with yeah. the same thing happens in X-Men uh with the Phoenix actually, which will Yeah, get that that was baffling to me. We'll we'll talk about that. Um I thought yeah, that I, moved I, fast in a way that was disappointing, whereas this moved fast in a way that I was actually like I'm surprised by that, but actually this works because really yeah, what I'm interested I, I in is Spidey fighting to. this off. I know where that's going. I know that's going to happen. So do it fast. That's fine. And get yeah. it to Eddie because that's we know that's what this is building to, right? Yeah, so I didn't need to see him out. like in the suit more. I got enough of that. Like you got you got the gist of it, right? It, I do love me that suit though. Oh yeah. That looks, all black with good. the white symbol. That's good stuff. Yeah. Oh, I mean classic, classic stuff. Um yeah. I mean the other the other moment that like good characterization from of Eddie Brock is I like the the part where Gwen Stacy, after Eddie Brock is a jerk to her, goes to Peter and is just like, Hey, where's your friend Eddie? Like, he came on to me and Peter Parker's like, No, no, he couldn't have been that bad or etc. Like kind of doing yeah. it, which is I think a very uh relatable <laughs> probably relatable thing for women and or teenage girls women in general to be like yeah this guy was a jerk and for their that guy's friends to be like yeah but i don't know are you sure he wouldn't do that or oh that's not what he meant right just a immediate 
assumptions. Right, there must be something else going on. You didn't fully, you know, just just to have like your immediate response to be like, and and not any. I mean, not because Peter Parker is a gross, nasty sexist who you know like is specifically trying to dismiss this kind of thing. Just because he's just like, really, I I don't know. Eddie Eddie seems nice. That uh, I don't I don't get like his impulse is just to you know think the best of people but he blows off Gwyn. He, I mean he does come around it's, and it's believably Gwyn clueless right it's believably and I, I like that Gwyn doesn't like right. yeah. yeah yeah exactly um, I like that Gwyn doesn't let that go she's just like Peter listen like I know his type of guy he's not a good guy you know like she's just like yeah. there's something there's something off with him and you get that throughout this you know and then you mm-hmm. talk to the roommate and you get the same story anyway uh, the other thing I really like about this is the Nick Fury conversation after this is all done yeah. Um, Spider-Man goes to Nick Fury. <laughs> follows well, and let's him just to let's just quick put a pin in this. This is all oh, done. Oh, yeah. Meaning, yeah, yeah. Spidey and Venom have their big brouhaha. Um, Eddie does lose control in the suit. He's like consuming and eating like civilians here, like left and right, basically, mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. in whatever capacity that means for the suit. And basically, it ends with kind of the big mysterious. Uh, it looks like Venom died, but we don't really know. There's no body. Yeah. And in 39, there's kind of, there's no appearance of Eddie or Venom, but mm-hmm. the roommate tells us that he came back to his room to, like, get his stuff. So we have the hint that he's still out there somewhere. Yep. So Spider-Man, Peter Parker, you know, he's just, again, overwhelmed. A teenage boy who's totally overwhelmed with all this stuff. Goes to Nick Fury, follows Best him to Best part of USM. Yeah, yeah, I like, I like this. He's, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, they, they nail that, like, I'm a teenager and I cannot deal with this. You know, like, I mentally can't deal with this the best. They also have a good MJ conversation where he kind of tries to win back, not even win back MJ, just kind of come to a, you know, resolution with MJ that doesn't quite pan out because he's still Spider-Man. And unless he's not Spider-Man, this just doesn't work for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, he follows Nick Fury to a Chinese restaurant. Nick Fury, like, corners him in an alley. And they have a conversation where Peter Parker, like, begs him to get rid of the spider powers. Like, take mm-hmm. this away from me. And I feel like this is a little bit retconning. Right? Because he's just like, you told me you would own me when I, you know, grew up, when I became yes. an adult. And Nick right. Fury's like, no, no, no. Like, listen to what I said. I said that, you know, you would be part of the number one super team in the world once you became an adult. And, the, you know, basically reframes it as like, it will be a privilege and an honor and you'll be, you know, fighting alongside Captain America, blah, blah, blah. Which is, I, I think, a little rewriting history I, think, I would totally Nick, agree. I think it's the way Nick we read Fury it said, at the I end of the Goblin you, Saga. I'll own you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the way we read are, it at the end verbatim. of the Goblin Saga yeah. was not this kindly paternal Nick Fury. <laughs> like I mean, that, you, you could make the argument that Nick Fury is maybe just like, you know, he, he's playing the role he thinks he needs to play now. All right, well, yeah. I can't strong arm this kid. I need to, you know, I, I need to like soft, do, have a soft touch here because, you know, otherwise we're going to lose him. Yep, totally. So, it's good, though. This it's a good conversation, conversation though, and it, yeah. you buy into... I think Peter's own just like absolute confusion and like just how like everything oh, is love, just going to hell. He blames Nick Fury for his parents' death for literally like 10 seconds. And Nick Fury's like, I was in college in <laughs> India. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. But Nick Although, Fury's like, didn't you I, get, didn't you get the sense that he was lying, that he didn't know anything? Maybe. I was like, you were in college 10 years ago? How old are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, look- yeah, that was weird. I thought, but also like if Nick says he doesn't know something, I immediately assume he's lying. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it comes across as genuine, but I guess who knows. Um, this does also put him as a 32-year-old director of Shield. I think. Yeah, that, that's a weird. <laughs> that's weird. He doesn't. I mean, he does, also doesn't look 32. Maybe he, he was, was getting his doctoral, and he's like, you know, closer to 40. Yeah, sure. He was I in guess. college for Nick yeah. was in college for so long. <laughs> I, I do was, like. <laughs> he was his eighth-year senior at one point. <laughs> Man, he's I the mean, old I, guy on campus. That that was me a little bit. It took me a while to get my bachelor's. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. 
Me and, and Nick Fury. Good company. Um, yeah, Nick Nick Fury. I like the line. You guys were such after. rascals in the back of the class, though. Teacher could not get you two to pay attention. I'll tell you, class clowning. I have no. I I don't have a yes and for that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Gosh, you're so good at clowning. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, too bad is I though. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst Nick Fury joke I've ever heard. I was I was trying to yes and you, but I told you I didn't have anything. Oh, that was good. Um, he uh, yeah, I, I like when Peter Parker like blames him for his parents, and he immediately diffuses it. He's, diffuses it. He's just like Peter's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, and he's like, Yes, you did, but it's fine. Like I understand being a teenager and feeling like yeah. you don't know who to blame. Um, again, like a lot of nice little well observed character moments here. Totally. Uh, All okay, right. Let's let's anything get else on USM. No, no, I think I think that's plenty. Let's get on to the Did last. Do you want to do issues. a bagging on Bagley segment? This this. No, it's episode? good. I mean, I Bagley does like like you have said. He's a consistent artist, and that doesn't change here. You know, like anything I've any issues I've had are still here, but all the positive things we've said are also still here. So yeah. Um, I mean, his Venom mean, suit looks a good. A mean symbiote suit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's always been good at the uh, like the the superhero costumes and stuff. All that stuff in the action has always looked good. So. Totally. Um, that hasn't Speaking of looking good, let's talk about Ultimate X-Men number 21, not necessarily through 25, because we do have a huge art shift here <laughs> that I oh, think we will talk it's about. It's weird, but I kind of <laughs> like No, I, it. I liked it, but it's jarring. I liked it initially. We'll talk yeah. about it. Uh, so Ultimate X-Men number 21, 25, this is the Hellfire and Brimstone five-part story arc. Mm-hmm. And uh, we are picking up the X-Men with a the introduction of Kitty Pride. She is being welcomed. <laughs> To the Xavier Institute, we get a little mm-hmm. origin for her where she is can't quite control her phasing powers. Her mom uh, calls up Xavier's, who again, let's remember in the Ultimate Universe, very well publicized institute. They mm-hmm. are also very publicly getting sued by Bobby Drake, Iceman and his family for uh, damages sustained in previous X-Men missions. And that will kind of develop over the course of these issues. The other lingering threads here, uh, Jean is having weird visions of a fiery bird. We are clearly building towards Phoenix. Mm. And uh, what was the other one I was going to say? Oh, uh, Beast is getting catfished by the blob. And that one is uh, worth a talking about. So where, yeah, Zach, do you want to start? Uh, let's start big. Let's start big. Did you like these? What do you think of these X-Men issues? Yeah, yeah, generally I like it. I think the Phoenix stuff gets a short shrift. And part, I mean, part of that is expectations from the real Dark Phoenix saga. I like that all the changes. I like all the changes that they make. Like there are some major changes that they make here. I like those. Yeah, let's just talk about Jean Grey in general then. Sure. So Jean Grey through the first four issues is just kind of on again, off again, having these little psychotic breaks. She's having these big visions. She has a vision of a big phoenix and a great splash page in issue one. Like all mm-hmm. of a sudden she's out on the lawn while the other X Men, and then all of a sudden that you turn the page and she's by herself in like a black void. Mm-hmm. terrified she doesn't understand what's happening and then the next page is this huge splash page of like full page phoenix rising up with just her down at the bottom totally mm-hmm. engulfed by it um and you get you know like this is terrifying right it's she's just having these visions of i mean there's an in the next issue it ends with her getting visions of like goblins crawling all over her or something or maybe she's manifesting them with her mind yeah i thought i thought we were gonna go what, into like some nightcrawler like yeah, hell demon stuff do but it does anything. not do that, yeah. <laughs> that is, i thought that's what the brimstone where was is here. nightcrawler by the way uh where did he go after we found him in yeah. weapon x i don't totally remember he's not in the mansion as far as i know he's not with the x-men no. anymore Mm-mm. maybe he went back um, to his church in Germany. Yeah, so I mean, it really is like it's four issues of her because we've already got the backstory of like 
Professor X found her in a, you know, a mental hospital. Right. She was having a breakdown. He helped her kind of gain control of her mind and, you know, become kind of a level-headed teenager. There's all this talk about, like, oh, these breakdowns are because she's dating Cyclops and she dumped Wolverine. She's dating Cyclops. Maybe she doesn't let, know how to let herself be happy, etc. I don't know. Um, that's really all that happens for four issues. Like, Well, and, Professor it, X is also, he's helping her, but he's also continually telling her, like, oh, don't worry. This is totally normal. I went through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, he's pretty clueless oh, God, what's actually Oh, God, he has a line where he says something like, you know, it, it's normal because your powers are developing as your body blossoms. And it's like, a very Professor and then X line. And then he says, like, the same thing happened to me. But it's like, Jesus, like, you don't, please do not talk about your teenage girl student's bodies blossoming, you absolute creep. Um, and weirdly, not the creepiest thing he's done <laughs> throughout Ultimate yeah, X-Men, sure. by far. Um, but yeah, so that all builds... I mean, it, actually, the thing is, I don't think it builds. It's kind of like it repeats. It's the same it's thing. The, it's like the D-plot in these stories. You know, it's a, it's like the yeah, smallest thing it. happening. But the thing in, like, with Claremont's run was I felt like that that kind of had a, a, um, a rising tension to it with those scenes. You know, it was like, oh, I'm in Victorian times. Okay, I'm not. Okay, I'm in Victorian times and I'm hunting a man. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, like, right. And they kind of had this building dread to them. This one kind of is like, I see things for a page, and, you know, it's just kind of the same spooky vision, but we don't I really know. I think it's really ineffective. On. I mean, I'm yeah. just going to call it out. I think it's pretty bad. Um, I think I, it's a it's a pretty worthless build to the Phoenix. It's also like, it's yeah. totally the wrong time in the storytelling. There is more than enough going on here, aside from Gene developing into the Phoenix. If Actually, if it was just the little visions, and we didn't mm -hmm. get 25 going full Dark Phoenix... Yeah, trying to do it, then I'd say, okay, we're building too clearly they're going to do the story. Mm -hmm. Whereas they actually do it in an issue, uh, them being, you know, Miller and Kubert and Mickey on Inks. And it's like, why Why did we do that? Why yeah. did you choose well, to you, rush that? There was no Yeah, need. you're just like, okay, here's four issues with other stories going on that are okay. Like, I like the Cyclops and Wolverine rivalry, going to the Savage Land, introduction yeah. of Kitty Pride. Like, all that stuff is fine. And then... When 25, because I got to the end of 24 and I was like, oh, weird. I guess this is not the Dark Phoenix saga because we only have one issue left and we haven't like gotten to the Hellfire Club yet. Okay. Yep. And then next issue is like, oh, we're going to pack all that into one issue. Like, and it, it does feel a little underdeveloped. So and not, 25, only, not only do they pack it into one issue, but the biggest reveal of that issue is the conclusion of the Beast Catfish saga and the revelations uncovered there. Yeah, right, right. Is it, it's not even Jean's going Phoenix. Yeah, let's do let's do all the Jean stuff, and then we can backpedal to all the other stories. But I, yeah, I no, I'm just saying, like that's yeah, no, in no, her right, own. I got weird... the Phoenix powers version. Like that's not the biggest moment in that issue. Yeah, it's a weird like double conclusion to that uh, to that issue. Yeah, so 25. Yeah. It's like we've had all these hints that there are mysterious billionaire backers to Xavier's whole school and his project, and um, they've been called yeah. the Hellfire Club by some at least. Like we have yeah, heard maybe we've heard that way. Yeah. Which word. I feel like is your first, like, you know, oh, those <laughs> backers might not be on the up and up. Well, we are the Evildoers Club, and we're a benevolent team of billionaires. <laughs> like, I am I am the children, the, the eater of children's club, and uh, oh, I'd like to fund good. your, your, uh, your NGO. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're led by Sebastian Shaw, Ultimate Universe here. He looks mm -hmm. exactly the same yep. as he does, uh, save one panel where he's introduced, where he looks exactly like Wolverine, which I feel like was a weird artistic mess up, mm -hmm. um, but perhaps not. Yeah, but anyway, he's the leader of the Hellfire Club. Uh, I would argue they dress less sultry in yeah. the Ultimate no, Universe they, than they, they did in 616. They kind of do away with the sex cult thing. Which, um, uh, which I got to... Yeah, we should do this in My Marvelous something. Year. Yeah. We got to give Claremont credit for how sex culty 
Well, he get, you he know what? Things. I didn't I didn't realize it till today in the Slack. Someone pointed out that Byrne was also co-plotting all that stuff. Sure. That he was on. And I immediately it was like, ah, oh, that explains the, <laughs> the sex club <laughs> aspect of the, uh, the Hellfire But Claremont club. continues a lot of that bondage yeah. stuff. Like, there's yeah. an issue. Th- this came up, actually, because Jim Shooter um, I- I mentioned we just read Secret Wars. And in the comments on that post he wrote about, like, the secrets of it on his blog, mm-hmm. he talks about his editorial control and things he would and wouldn't allow. And one specific example he gives is he says, Claremont kept trying to have the Morlocks put Xavier in weird bondage gear. <laughs> and he's like, I stopped that at least the, at least the first time. And he has to say at least the first time because Claremont got his way. Eventually the Morlocks totally put professor X in weird bondage gear at one point. Cool. Claremont cool. loves <laughs> some good, uh, sexy bondage gear. Anyway, Missing from so, the Hellfire Club. So this club, Hellfire Club members. is not like trying to to grab power, you know. Like it's not Mastermind. Mastermind is not here. It's not manipulating Jean Grey into being like their weapon to amass yeah. power. It yeah. is that the Phoenix is this like ancient god trapped in a multi-angled prison. You kind of get this like Lovecraft vibe from the Phoenix. It's like a god older than you know the god. Yeah, of some this sort world. of demonic sorcery stuff. Right. And they want to replace God with the Phoenix. And so they summon the Phoenix and not <laughs> It's actually use... a really cool cosmic idea. <laughs> that yeah. line alone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I like all this stuff. I, I think all this really works for me. It just feels a little rushed, but uh mm-hmm. I, I like all this aspect of this because they want to summon down the Phoenix not to like um you know use her but to serve her right like hopefully be her lackeys or its lackeys yeah which i think is fine i think that's a fun twist on things the thing is like they summon the phoenix into Jean gray and then the the phoenix is like how dare you <laughs> like us presume to be my followers and turns <laughs> yeah. them all into you know skeletons immediately and then just starts like wielding her powers and then this is the thing i really like professor x is like Gene, you will stop this behavior at once. This is unacceptable for a teenage girl like you. Like, he just starts <laughs> scolding her like, yeah. boy problems are no excuse to be doing this to <laughs> to human beings yeah. and manipulating people. And, you know, it's this whole angle where, like, the Phoenix doesn't exist. There's no such thing as the Phoenix Force. This is Jean Grey. This is Jean Grey's mind not being able to cope with the power and pressures that she has. Yeah. Right? And it, I think it does a good job of, like, yeah, we don't know. Could be, right? Could be. It's, it's, real it's, it's a mystery. Not. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, I think I don't it even has think the potential it... to kind of cloud Galactus the whole situation, to use a cloud. Fantastic Four movie uh, example, oh, oh, where oh, it's okay. like, oh, there's this cosmic thing that we all love, and you're implying that it might just be a fake thing in her head? That's actually really disappointing. Um, oh, to me, to me, it's not, because this is one of those things where it's like, I already have the Phoenix. Like, Jean Grey and the Phoenix exists in the mainline universe. Yeah. I like this one. I don't actually want to know. Like... I hope they never clear it up. I, don't, I like the I'm, I like the mystery of it. At I like this the point. ambiguity. I'll give you that, but yeah. I I do think the downside is at least on my end. I never want. There's two options, and I never want one of the options. <laughs> so yeah. it's not a particularly compelling mystery, because if it goes one way, I'm like that's what well, I'm that saying. Sucked. I don't I don't really want resolution. I think it's fun as a like fun staying ambiguous. Yeah, yeah. And that's where it lives here, and that's that's fine by me. I mean, the, the only issue is that like that's how it wraps up Professor X. You know overcomes her mind and i guess drives the phoenix out and that's it you know like you don't get the phoenix rampage you don't get she she has something where she gives a speech about how she's like gonna she's about to raise a homeless person from the dead (laughs) she's a she's like healing sick children around she's like showing how benevolent she can be um yeah yeah uh i think exactly right it is it has no build up it is not enough 
Yeah, no. it is unsatisfying. It is it ha- again. It's one of the things I think Miller does really well in X Men is that there are some cool ideas there. Yep. There are some different takes on things. I mean, I I read this when I was seventeen or eighteen, uh-huh. and like this is the thing I remember. I read this one time, really, fifteen years ago, and I remember like the Phoenix, and I remembered the scene of her frying the Hellfire Club, like. Yeah. So this this had a big impact on me apparently. Out of all the weird stuff in X Men that I don't remember, this yeah. Uh, the other thing I did remember definitely from being sixteen or seventeen is Blob Catfishing Beast, which all right, I love. There. We're going there. I love this. I think this is really good because it starts as a joke and then it leads into drastic plot consequences in a way that feels totally yeah. natural and unexpected. Like it's a really good twist. The moment I mean, so Blob is pretending to be a model who loves Beast, and Beast is you know lonely and isolated. They're in a, they're in a chat room, right? Right, exactly. Early two thousand yeah, chat. chat room. It this one I'm really torn on. Because I think it's actually done pretty well. Yeah. And to yeah. your point, it also has really relevant consequences. It's, it's not a, a one-note joke. Like. No, it does have that undertone of kind of the crudest Miller joke. You know, bit, that kind yeah. of Miller Ennis at their worst vibe that we talk about a lot, which is to say, like, not only is Beast getting catfished, but he's getting catfished by a fat guy. And yes. kind of that ha yeah, ha sure. ha, like I I, I mean people make that, that joke about oh yeah Blob he's uh you know he's he hangs out he spends his weeknights hanging out on the internet pretending to be a bulimic model ha ha he's a fat guy he's pretending to be a skinny girl yeah yeah, yeah. that that part's a bummer I don't know if it had to be I, Blob it could have been anyone uh, well uh, you know what I feel like I would like it more if if they were just not so scared of of feelings and male emotions and we're like mm-hmm. actually yeah. blob and beast are developing something here in in the chat room <laughs> if they were willing like, to actually roll with that i would like it a lot more you know if he felt like, more blob guilt starts to over turning on about, beast yeah right yeah something sure. like that yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, as opposed to no i'm purely setting him up and we're going to use him and all well, that he knows because because by is, the end of this i mean do you feel worse for anyone than beast in the Ultimate Universe right now, like he is humiliated in this yeah. quote unquote prank. Like this, this is brutal. And well, that, that I mean, that, that's me where I think this I, that works for me because it starts out as a prank, right? This is not super villain stuff. This is like teenagers pranking yes. each other. Yes, which and is then, a good like, like Brotherhood of Evil mutants as teenage teenagers. Prank yeah. yeah, I like that. And then like Beast is you know like, can I tell you a secret, my dear? I know I can trust you because we've gotten to know each other so much. Magneto yeah. is actually alive. And the moment where that happens is really good, where, like, it just good, shows, good it shows art. Blob just sitting there, like, stunned, staring at his computer, yeah. and then, like, cut to the rest of the Brotherhood of Evil. Like, he's like, what do I type? What do I type? Like, I don't know how yeah. to respond to this. And he brings everybody over, and they are all, like, stunned by this revelation. I think that's a clever way of doing that instead of, like, the Brotherhood of Evil mutants. Like, we intercepted a transmission that shows that Magneto is alive, or, I don't know, some other random... I yep, think it's based totally. on a character moment, you know, and it is a genuinely unexpected like, oh, oh, oh no, Beast, what did you yeah. do? Like, yeah, well, it's also believable good. that like Beast yeah. in this teenage state, emotional yeah. like, and again, like, few people on the X Men have gone through more. Like, he's been turned fully blue by the you know the Weapon X program, and like mm-hmm. he's had these, he broke up a storm and has had these big emotional turnovers. Like the fact that he would want to be able to reach mm-hmm. out to someone Warm online and say, turnover. yeah. <laughs> Second love, only I love some good emotional Apple turnovers. turnovers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I do find that sad on B-Send. I, again, 
am a little torn on the execution, but I, I do think parts of it work. Uh, and all that, we should mention, is part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants are experiencing a coup led by the, what is he, the Prosimian? He's like yeah, a, exclusive yeah, yeah. to the alternate universe, um, uh, like ape mutant, and he's really yeah, the, fed up with Quicksilver and Wanda's called? leadership. Yeah, what are they what called are they in called? The, the mainline thing? There's like a word oh, for mutates? the mutants who are not human looking. You know, they have like... He's, he, well, he's a mutate. mutate he's one of okay. Magneto's from the Savage Land, I think. And uh, so Pietro and Wanda are leading the Brotherhood still, which was kind of an interesting like follow up on their role in Ultimates because they're, they're still doing this and we see them leading like a terrorist attack. And I'm initially like, oh, they're just kind of back to being terrorists even though they're on the Ultimates. They're actually like, just like clearing out countries' nuclear arsenals. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, in a In a like quote-unquote terrorist move but one that like most people could get behind i guess yeah i mean they're doing it like we're not doing it to be you know altruistic we're doing it because we don't want you destroying the world before we take it but also it's still pretty popular with people (laughs) yeah people are not mad the pro simians thing is like this is weak (laughs) why don't we just join the x-men if we're gonna do these sorts of things which actually is like why aren't the x-men doing these sorts of things (laughs) right it's actually like a pretty good uh a decent little argument um i don't care about the brotherhood's coup at all but it does uh lead to them finding the secret that magneto is alive and then of course the big reveal in x-men number 25 they wake him up they love that like a a nice a nice little callback to silver age x-men from like x-men number one maybe where magneto loves his sky writing yes yeah i mean that's 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 all silver like that happens in everything um johnny torch especially loves writing in the sky magneto does it here with a bunch of cars he says thank you charles up in the sky and uh and he's back and that's going to lead us to ultimate war next episode uh so i do like i like that we got there because i wasn't expecting the return of magneto in these issues but it Mm builds there successfully um they don't show us beast beast humiliated meeting and beating you know it kind of just cuts to the end of it which actually i think is fine didn't really need to mm-hmm. yep. watch yep. that uh, kind of brutal event. Um, a couple other things that I really love from this sequence. <laughs> One is, so Wolverine and Cyclops are are doing their thing, especially now Wolverine's extra surly because Cyclops and Jean are like officially dating. And I guess, I kind of thought we were past this, but Wolverine clearly wants to be with Jean in some capacity, mm-hmm. right? He's very jealous. And he comes in to fight Cyclops. <laughs> Cyclops oh, I hope you call up two, the same moment I do. He has Yes, he has two all-time perfect cyclops lines here the first is like is that alcohol on your breast mister professor's gonna be so mad at you or something like that effect. and the best <laughs> you one sober up before the professor finds you yeah and yeah and then the best line is wolverine keeps egging him on and egging him on and cyclops turns and punches him and immediately after he does so kitty pride is with them he turns to kitty and says go get the professor and tell him he needs to put wolverine and me in detention before we trash this place <laughs> it's such a good line he calls like for the, his like, own detention from the ground, Wolverine, I, I think, just, like, kicks Cyclops in the crotch and yeah. incapacitates him, and, like, he falls to the ground. Wolverine stands up and immediately is like, all right, pop the shirt off. <laughs> Time yeah, for a fight. I'm taking my shirt off. <laughs> it's, that page is perfect in every, every regard. Um, yeah. And then they have a big old fight, and the professor has to end it before Wolverine straight up kills Cyclops. Uh, the two of them then do have to go on a mission, I believe, to the Savage Land? Yeah, which After is like, point? I don't know. Well, this there's, kind of boring, it's a kind I mean. of a throwaway, but it's also like weirdly prescient. Um, so this can get a little spoilery for Earth 616 future X stuff. So yeah, I'll I was try thinking, to I, keep it I mean, light. we don't have to get into it at all, but like I've read three issues of Grant Morrison's new X-Men. 
Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, interesting. This is the boring version of that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Also, Astonishing X-Men to come. Also, Hickman X-Men currently. Like, there's actually a lot of 2000s-era X-Men that pulls from similar threads here. Essentially, Cyclops and Wolverine, they find uh, a the, the machine that was running Magneto's Savage Land Brotherhood mutant landscape uh, has become sentient. And it is now a sentient machine that is crafting post-humans, as it describes them. Um, and it's this, it's this sort of idea of, okay, mutants are what's next for humans, but what's ne- or, or mutants are what's next in, like, the evolutionary line, but what's next in, like, the post-human technological line, right? As, as man versus machine sort of opposition, yeah, as there's a threat to X-Men. Nothing to it, though, besides, like, you know, I was a computer that was destroyed, but then I decided to evolve. If if humans evolve why can't a machine and then it's that's it. it's the simplest version of yeah, that it, it very feels cool i mean it feels like silver age master mold stuff where it's just like i'm a computer that accidentally gained sentience like i tried to i tried this compute i tried to program this computer to follow my you know commands but i accidentally computed or programmed it to be sentient yeah <laughs> that kind of yeah. like flimsy thing and yeah, then it's and like it undercut really by a joke here. which is fine actually because i didn't want to see a big fight but it's undercut by the joke that kitty pride phases in to be like hey guys there's a dinosaur on the x-wing and uh and she accidentally blows up the whole thing because her powers uh destroy machinery yeah totally which was fine because i was like ready for it to be over and i was like oh good we don't have to (laughs) deal with this anymore yeah um the intro of kitty here i would say is not definitely not as good as she's going to be but also pretty successful um i mean she's pretty close to 616 kitty pride like, there's sure. not yeah. a lot different here. I mean, she's the youngest teenager on the team. She sneaks onto a Blackbird with Wolverine and Cyclops because she's eager to go do missions, and she's not supposed to be because she's a young teenager. Professor X doesn't mm-hmm. want to be sued again like he's getting for Mice Man. And, um, but, you know, she's still, like, spunky and fun, and she's Kitty Pride. I mean, there's, like, really not much difference. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the art in 24, no, 23 and 24. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, so it's... John Carey? No, not John. Who is it? John. Um, Kyra Andrews. Andrews? What mm-hmm. is it? Wait, K- say the name again. K A A R E. You say the name again, because I don't know how. How would you say that? Uh, where is it? Carey Andrews. Carey. Either Carey or Corey. I, I looked it up. Like Corey would be a twist. I saw that. I saw like a YouTube like how to pronounce Corey, but uh, yeah, Carey Corey. Um, yeah, it's manga cartoon. Stuff. not even manga like anime like it yeah. looks like a cartoon show like cartoon network cartoon show i kind of love it it's a weird it's a hard left clashing turn. yeah because usually you know it's like it's right in the middle of the arc too it's not like you have a new arc or here's a little side story or something it is just like two issues in the middle of this one arc 100 like it couldn't be more different like where um cubert is just like detailed dirty dense ink work this is like yeah clean round goofy cartoony you know like kitty pride's teeth are uh you know like what's the word um they're just like one long little curved line and you see little braces drawn on them like it Mm -hmm. looks straight out of you know like gravity falls almost something like that like yeah and the cleanliness of it was really appealing (laughs) yeah no it's 23 there was something about it where i was like oh this is like really refreshing um and by by the end of 24 i was a little tired of it again i didn't think it was as strong and i was ready for the return of cubert and again those those danny mickey inks and finishes on 25 but uh it's uh, i don't dislike the art style i will say i do generally dislike fill-in artists in a 
cohesive narrative. Like, if you're going to bring in a new artist with a totally different style, tell a different type of story. And I, I guess think- 23 kind of does that because it's the most catfishing-focused mm-hmm. uh, issue. But 24, it's like, you're just telling the same Kubert story, but it just looks different. Yeah. And yep. it, like, like glaringly so. And I, I don't think, think we, that's I think useful. I've talked about this, too, where, like... Um, because I think in the middle of, I could be wrong here, I think in the middle of the Proteus saga, they switch artists a little bit, but they keep the same inker. I don't, I don't know if I'm right about that. And 616? Yeah, is that right? I think Does that's John Byrne burn. step out a little bit? They might bit? switch inkers. I don't remember that. Hmm. That'd be uncanny point, 125 was, to 128, I'm guessing. So let's let's pull that up while you're talking. Okay, I, I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be that. But Oh, it matters. The, the, the point is, like, I think sometimes it's nice to have a, uh, if you're, if you're, Penciler needs to step out in the middle of an arc for whatever reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. To have, like, your inker and colorist stay the same, because that can still keep, like, a unity of... Oh, no, it was during X-Men. It was during the Proteus X-Men stuff. Uh, Ultimate X-Men, rather. That's right. Mm. Remember, it had that, like, kind of drastic style change, but it kept the same inker and colorer, so it's still kind of, like... It had some strange art that... There's a core to it. Very different, but it still kind of flowed naturally for me. I mean, this yeah. is just so, so drastically different in style that there's no <laughs> there's no pretending. Um, well, it's yeah, also, I, I think it, it makes it, that, uh, what I'm describing too is like, I like it, I actually really love it, when if you bring in somebody with a pretty unique style, mm-hmm. that issue is like kind of a standalone. Like, like your story should then change for that style. Yeah. Is what I prefer, like, right? Like we've seen in Ultimate Team Up, I think. Like... I feel like we've seen some issues of Ultimate Team Up that has a totally different feel to it because they're yeah. teaming with a, you know, a looser, more cartoony style. Or if you have someone who's doing, like, dark, serious work, like with uh, the Bill Sinkevitz Punisher stuff. Yeah. Like, those stories, you know, those stories match up. Yeah. I, I think this is something... You mentioned Batman Rebirth, so it's top of mind right now. It's something Tom King does pretty well in his very long Batman run, is he's like, hey, we got Mitch Jarrett's for one issue. We're going to do a really fun Swamp Thing one-off. Hmm, and and it totally works um, in one of the better issues in that run. So that that type of thing I love. This is uh, again, it's hard to even be like, here's what I think of this art because it's it just so doesn't fit hmm. from the 22 issues that that are you know before. Um, I don't know. It's it's off putting. I would say in a, a yeah. weird helter skelter way. Yeah, but in, otherwise, in I think I, the story's fine. I think the Phoenix stuff really the, doesn't work. I think everything artist, else yeah. is generally okay. You know, I've definitely been more pro. Ultimate Spider-Man, less X-Men, and I think you've been vice versa. Um, this doesn't change my mind on that, although sure. yeah, I'm, that. I don't know, I'm still like, I'm reading X-Men and I'm wanting it, I'm wanting to find like, what were the like cool ideas Miller had here that are things that maybe have been used in the future um, or even now as I really like am digging deep into Hickman X-Men era. And there's just not a lot to pull from, man. Like there's just not a lot of stuff where I'm like, this was a great idea. There's a lot of small stuff. Um, but he doesn't have a lot to say. <laughs> That's kind of disappointing. Hmm, hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know. I uh, I dig it. <laughs> Overall, we are very like, close. No, I know. It, but and I'm, not saying, like, I'm not saying I, it's bad. I, I'm not saying. Yeah, I, I also like don't it, think I this guess. is like miles ahead of the Spider-Man. Like everything that we have read in Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Ultimates, and this is all hovering, you know, plus or minus ten percent for me. Yeah. You know? Is anything? Would you say anything's great here? I think little moments i really liked i mean the green goblin spider-man stuff i think was veering in uh, maybe not great but like very good <laughs> ultimates yeah. has those but you know it's nothing nothing is a uniform like masterpiece where you're just like man this just works all the way through without you know some significant issues see because um, i do f- i felt that way about ultimate spider-man all the way 
all the way, all the way through uh, the first go. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's one of those books that it is the most successful when you're like, I'm going to sit and over the course of several days or a week, read these 120 issues. Like it's a series that works weirdly well in that capacity because you can do that. I can't imagine for the life of me having collected this month to month. (laughs) <laughs> like that sounds I thought, I thought that's from Spider-Man I thought that about this time yes. where I was just like yes yep yeah because yeah, it really takes its time with stuff mm-hmm. for sure um, um yeah, I, I don't because I, I so I've got it ranked like crazy high on my best comics of all time yeah you do the whole run yeah. I've got it 58th yeah. it's right behind the Dark Phoenix saga and I've got it ahead of Astonishing X-Men right now and like a, a ton of books I love and rereading them again I'm like on a chunk by chunk basis it doesn't make sense to me <laughs> to have it that high <laughs> but i know the first time i read it through i was like this is one of my favorite marvel books ever so i'm kind of i think it's a part of it's just like when i was coming into marvel comics when i was reading it you mm-hmm. know verse now and maybe yeah, I, you'll have the a same feeling meteor. when you reread uh invincible and you're like man why did i i accident i put this in one of my favorite comics when i should have put it in one of the worst <laughs> comics of all time i just got the two things confused in my mind is that is that the book i have the highest ranked that you that were probably the Bristolet? most disagreement oh, over oh for sure right. I, yeah i i think so just a second i'm gonna, I'm gonna think what else you quick. might um what yeah, else think, you might think, take issue with I've got it right above Preacher number 24 right now that on the best all time crazy that you think yeah. that is better than preacher um, I mean, Watchmen, I don't know. This is a whole set. Honestly, we should do a <laughs> you're bonus starting pod. with Watchmen. <laughs> we should do a bonus pod where I just go through one at a time. Your, uh, your best comics of all time list and just yell at you. About what, it. Just read them. Um, what do you, what do you disagree with? Uh, I don't I mean, know. Well, I mean, here, what, here's the thing about, here's the thing about disagreeing Watchmen? with the best comics of all time list is unless you have your own, that is at least 500 comics deep. I have nothing to say to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't because you have don't, not tried. Don't yet. criticize my list until you have <laughs> sorted. Until you've made your own and... obsessive, insane list as well. Yeah. Um, wait, wait. So, have you read Scott Pilgrim? Uh, I've read like the first three, I think. And I've not. I'd be curious uh, potentially about your take there. Regardless, it's been a while. I, I might view that very differently now than I did when I was, you know, twenty-two or whenever. I, whenever I, read, where, I can't imagine at that's at as 50? fun in your thirties as it is in your late or late teens, early twenties. Let me see. What did you put this above? You like this more than Astro city. I haven't read as much Astro city though. I need to read more of that. Uh, Again, everything in everything in the top 150 is a comic. I, Oh, here's something I I think is totally overrated. Sex criminals. It's, I mean, you you have sex criminals at 69. Very good. You know, I've been, Um, and I've been locked into that. It's actually really hard to keep sex criminals at 69 because I have to keep shuffling comics behind it that I otherwise <laughs> would have ranked above it. It's mm-hmm. actually quite the burden, these things yeah. I take on. I just reread the first couple trades of that, and I was like, oh, this uh, this didn't sing as much as it did for me the first time. Oh, I am i don't know about that. It's a really funny book. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It, it's fine. I it's need to read it again, and I'm also not caught up, so I can't say yeah. uh, how fantastic. Yeah, no, I don't have any big critiques for that. I just, uh, it's pretty... pretty well, I think, anyway. I think part of it is like you're really easily offended by sex drawings. Like we all we all know that. Like your fetish is not drawing funny sex pictures. Um, so so sex criminals really offends is, your sensibilities. My fetish is not drawing. Fu- Anytime so, someone is not drawing <laughs> funny sex pictures, I am rock hard, baby. Yeah. <laughs> all you have to do. 
So if you want to call Zach protection. down, everybody, draw some funny sex pictures. Yeah, the only protection against me is uh, is if you're actively drawing comedic <laughs> sex images. I don't know what you're talking the about. The only protection against me. What a threatening statement. Um, okay, this is neither here nor there. Yeah, the point is, digressed. I've got USM ranked crazy high, and reading through yeah. it again, it, I, again, talking very positively about it, I don't know that I'm having these... I'm not having the same experience. How could sure. I? I yeah. guess, right? I mean, it's... It's the case with a lot of stuff. I mean, yeah. I probably would have had fables at my my top five a decade ago. That is yeah. not the case anymore. I still really like fables, but like it is not top five material to me anymore. Yeah. Um. Cool. That's a that's a good idea though. I should uh should read like the top fifty of your best comics of all time, and we can do a you should. It's a lot just, of good comics. There's a few. There's a few things on there. Oh, I mean, you have number I am, four. Is I Jonathan am not Hickman's. interested in your notes, so go ahead and save those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with a lot of this. I mean, Mr. Miracle at number six, probably a lot of people might bristle at that, being like that high of all time, but I don't know. No, just having okay. reread that, I am, I think that uh, that deserves that. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, the, the thing is, you have number four, Jonathan Hickman's Marvelverse. It's like, I can't read that. I have to wait for it's the a mini, It's a mini there. cheat. A mini cheat, but it, it deserving all the same, I would say. Yeah. Um, and that's not including X-Men. So, who knows? Could be coming, could be coming for Bone. At number three, you know, Sandman at number two is one I actually really, I really oscillate on because mm. um, I've I reread it not that long ago, and that's another one that like I don't know. Part of my problem, and I say this over and over again, is like I don't like rereading stuff. Like it's just not. And, and Sandman, like I like rereading Watchmen actually every so often. Sandman's kind of tough. Um, oh, I'm on a re- Sandman reread still, right like, now, and I'm on a craft level, kind of just enjoying it. It's as very much as good. I've yeah. Never... Well, you never read it. Well, that's. Tr- I mean, I haven't read. You haven't actually it, read it, but that doesn't matter. You're you're like a fake reader, is what you are. I mean, there are a fair amount of stuff that I'm. I have read two thirds of, and uh, and never. Well, sure. Never I mean, that that happens with a lot of books, and you can still say you like them. You're more than more than uh, open to that. But um, but Sandman's one that I could easily like. If you told me right now, hey, what do you want to read, Bone or Sandman? It's always Bone. So yeah, that's a tough but one. That, I love Bone, but I think like on a what is I mean, the thing with Sandman is like level, I don't even like Neil Gaiman. Like. I, personally what a jerk uh no i don't even like his oh other writing we got a new segment like, i can't get into uh ganging up on gaming ganging okay, up I've... on gangman yeah that means um, i gotta join though if it's two of us that's fine i'll yeah, be I, I mean you can you it's can fine burn people me. adore his novels and stuff and i we've talked about do, that before i like american gods his, a lot his style you um, but yeah but you only you uh, continue to only read 50 percent of everything he puts out well because that last 50 percent that does i mean the only book that i finished by him uh, was the ocean at the end of the lane? That's because it was only like 120 pages. <laughs> um, okay, pretty. Alrighty, that's the end. Yep. Thanks, guys. Done. Bye. Next up is going to be Ultimate oh, Universe yeah. episode mm-hmm. seven. We're going to talk about Ultimate War, Ultimate X Men, continuing, including the final Mark Miller written issues and uh, Ultimate Spider Man issues 40 to 45 plus one half. Believe it or not, the weird Ultimate Spider-Man one half, and uh, it's our first kind of crossover eventy type thing in yeah, Ultimate Ultim- War. Ultimate Universe will have a bunch of those coming up. Yeah, so yeah, be, uh, and that one is written by. Miller. I don't know who writes that. Do you? Ultimate War? Uh, it's Miller. Okay. I believe it's going to be yeah. interesting. I was just thinking, like, I mean, I wasn't just thinking. This has been obvious from the start. I mean, the Ultimate Universe is Miller and Bendis. That like is who it is. Right? Yeah, that's it right now. Miller's going to leave pretty soon, right? Like Miller does not. Uh, he uh, he'll the he'll come back for, for some Fantastic Four, but we're we're well, and he's going to do Ultimate stuff, so he's yeah. he's bounces around a little bit. Yeah, but he is not going to be like. I mean, it's it not going to be, be just Miller and Bendis. That's yeah, for sure. It's going to be interesting when we see. Oh oh, how could I? For, God, 
I just almost committed the most egregious of crimes. How could I forget Orson Scott Card? Oh. Iron Man. <laughs> God, I just we remembered. also had uh, Greg Rucka on Ultimate Daredevil and Electra. I forgot about that too. Yeah, but that's kind but of most like a, but most importantly, yeah, those uh, those critical blue baby bot, whole body brain Orson Scott Card blue baby of, brain Tony, yeah. our favorite little guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, thanks for listening, everybody. You can find all the issues we're going to read in the show notes. Um, you can also find them if you're a patron via the full Ultimate Marvel timeline that Zach has uh, conveniently put together. If you're just reading mm-hmm. through the Ultimate Universe, you can always go on over to comicbookherald.com's Ultimate Marvel Reading Order. Thanks, everybody, true, true, for listening. True. Music for the show is Bye Bye Divine Right. And, <laughs> it's uh, never not going to be confusing <laughs> so to I, say. I have to concentrate. And hosting is done by Zach Dean and Dave Busing. Edits by Zach Dean. Uh, credits by Dave Busing. And uh, script by no one. This is unscripted, baby. Coming free from the brain. <laughs> it might surprise you to know that this is improvised. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here a first. A thousand right, jaws <laughs> just dropped across the nation. Yep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. A thousand. A oh, I, I mean, it should. I mean, if you are still here, I don't. I don't know. But uh, it should be noted if you are listening to this on our public feed, you have six more episodes waiting for you behind the Patreon paywall. So, if uh, if you're hungry for more ultimate, my ultimate year, there's six more eps waiting for you. And if you're just hungry, support a local restaurant today. Uh, they need it. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> you jerk. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Have it. Have an ultimate day. Good one. Yeah. Are you going to rest? I got issues.